This is the How The Fuck podcast. Each week, we interview creative leaders and marketing professionals from around the world. From those interviews, we bring you unique advice that's based only in real practical experience that will help you to grow your business, get ahead in your professional life, and satisfy your hunger to learn new ideas. This week's interview is with the incredible Chris Walker. Chris is the CEO of Refine Labs, a marketing firm that specializes in helping B2B companies grow their revenue and lower customer acquisition costs. Chris has worked in marketing or product for the better part of the last decade and has grown a huge following on LinkedIn after sharing his marketing tips on a daily basis. So this interview covers a lot of what Chris posts every day. Everything from what marketers are doing wrong to what they should be doing to generate the high quality inbound leads you need to take your company to the next level in this market. I hope you enjoy. Cheers, everyone. When you first start working with a client, where do you start? So the first step in the process, in my view, is to understand what's going on currently. And so we do that in a couple of different formats, depending on the size of the client, the media budget, their growth goals. There's a lot of different variables in that and how we decide how to do it. But it basically comes down to a a very detailed analysis of their marketing performance at a a channel and an overall marketing level, compare it to their outbound or other uh, mechanisms for generating revenue, audit their ad strategies, their KPIs, the overall um, objectives of what they're trying to accomplish in those channels, And then once we have a clear sense about what's going on, how it's performing, how the budget's allocated, then we have a more clear picture on how to recommend what should be changed. This is working, turn it up, start focusing your conversions down to this conversion point. This isn't working. This is a complete waste of money. Cut this, change this, scrap this. That's essentially the process is is an analysis up front. Do you see a lot of commonalities in the challenges faced by your clients? And are they making the same kind of mistakes? Yeah. So over the past six months, I've probably audited somewhere between 20 and 35 SaaS companies. And essentially in the SaaS world, almost everyone does it the same. There are like little tweaks, but basically everyone is in essence following some form of the serious decisions, demand, gen, waterfall, demand, waterfall framework, where... The framework is collect as many leads as possible, pass them over to your SDR teleprospecting team for qualification, and then move them to a rep if they get qualified. Um, Everyone is using that form and inside of getting the leads, most people use the exact same tactics. Most are heavy focused on ebook conversions is what I see, or syndicated content for leads or webinars for leads. Everything is driven around that first metric point, which I think is misguided and wrong in how you actually uh, generate demand in a B2B SaaS company today. Mm -hmm. There clearly seems to be some kind of conflict in marketing today. I mean, a lot of marketers are generating as many leads as possible through eBooks and the methods that you mentioned without concern for the quality of the leads that they're pushing towards their SDRs. Really, that can't be efficient, right? No, I don't believe that it is a efficient process. Many companies use it. And what actually ends up happening is that they don't look at it to the level to know that those executions are doing nothing for them. And all of the 
actual leads that are converting to revenue are coming through organic search or direct traffic, which is a surrogate to word of mouth or already had intent or, or got something else. And all the attributable leads to the eBooks don't end up going anywhere. This just goes back to our overall like methodology, how I think about the world in, in B2B SaaS, which is that most companies have structured their marketing team to act like an SDR team, to generate as many as possible at who cares in the quality because you have the SDR filter and then it goes to the AEs. However, if you just do the marketing well and you generate high quality leads at a lower volume, you actually don't need the SDR layer. And so those leads can go directly to account executives. And when those leads go directly to account executives, there's a better buying experience. And because of that, you close them at a higher rate and you close them with shorter sales cycles. And then there, after that, then you can think about, okay, how do I deploy these SDR resources? Do they go outbound? And when they go outbound, if you get that far, you'll find that that channel just isn't that effective and that your demand gen engine, when it's running right, works better. And over time, you end up having less SDRs. You invest more into marketing, execution, well done, lowers customer acquisition costs. That lower customer acquisition costs and higher efficiency allows you to invest in product and other infrastructure inside of the business that supports growth. And overall, you come out with a better, more scalable business. Mm -hmm. So how would you suggest measuring the performance of a marketing team if it's not on something like leads generated, but maybe you don't want to do it on the same metric as sales, which is sales volume? What would you suggest here? I've done this for a long enough time to know that the most important variable in whether or not a sale closes is how the buyer comes to you. And so I believe the biggest variable is not actually sales performance. I have passed leads to people that have worked at the company for five days, had no idea what was going on with the product or the market or the buyer, and were able to close inbound leads because the person was pretty much decided and the salesperson's job was just to help them buy it. And so for that reason, I do believe that marketers, when doing their job well, do have a huge amount of influence into whether or not the sales close. And the way that I've found, because a lot of marketers be like, well, we don't have control over the actual outcome of the sale because the sales reps aren't following up or all this different stuff and just making excuses. The reason the sales reps aren't following up is because you're passing them a bunch of junk. If they knew that when you passed them something, they had a chance of getting revenue and it was their best opportunity to hit their goals, you bet they would call. But over time, you've actually done the wrong things, given them a bunch of junk, and now therefore they don't trust you and they don't wanna waste their time on the things that you've sent them. Just to get back to, to your original question, yes, I do believe that marketers should be measured on uh, a revenue outcome. They can track all the leading indicators however they want. I recommend you track all the leading indicators to know where you can fix processes and optimize and all those different things, but the end point is the same. It's revenue, and when you're focused on revenue, you do different things to get the leads. And I've found the most equitable method to score your marketing team is on marketing sourced revenue contribution for net new logo. This is specific for B2B SaaS with a traditional sales model, non-transactional, non-product led. And because the net new logo revenue contribution 
will normalize for things like environmental business changes, like the one that we're facing right now, right? Like all revenue for some companies is down, but the percent contribution should remain somewhere stable. It also normalizes for sales performance. So if your sales team sucks, they're going to suck on whatever source the lead comes from, not just on marketing sourced. And so therefore you still should be able to hold yourself accountable to a percentage contribution. And that percentage should be decided based on a lot of different factors. I think the number one is budget allocation. So between your outbound team and your inbound team, what's the percent budget allocation? If you invest 10% into marketing, you probably shouldn't expect them to get you 70% of the revenue. And I've worked at companies where the marketing team had 2% of the budget and generated 30% of the revenue. And that is a broken model because if you just change the way you allocated the budget, you would change your business. And so that's the way that I've been looking at it. I know a lot of people don't, uh, won't agree with that stance, but I believe that is the North star for marketing teams to be aligned with their sales teams. If, they have the right marketing leader that knows how to execute. Yeah, I completely agree. That makes a lot of sense to me. One thing you said there was that a lot of time, the close rate depends on where the leads came from in the first place. What would you suggest marketers do to create the most high quality leads? Effective communication with the market is the number one way because the objective is to drive organic buyer-initiated sales conversations. And most marketing teams will have somewhere between 90% and 99% of their sales conversations start seller-driven, company-driven. And the objective is to have more buyer-driven sales processes. And therefore, when the buyer's driving the process, you are more likely to close more of those deals. Things that don't usually work, the ebook downloads that I've talked about enough because they downloaded an ebook, they didn't ask to talk to your sales team, but now all of a sudden you're reaching out to me to have a sales conversation. I'm like, I'm not interested. Syndicated content where you pay $50 a lead to some company to send you leads. Those people downloaded your white paper. They did not want to talk to your sales rep. No wonder the close rates are 0.1%. This is very straightforward, but most people don't look at it at that level because all they're doing is just saying, okay, I need to get 30,000 leads. And they never look at the actual outcome to qualified pipeline, the sales cycle length, to win rates, and ultimately to revenue. And if they started breaking it up into those buckets, and I know this because I go into companies and I audit them and I break them up into these buckets, you'll basically expose all the things that you're doing that have absolutely no value and have no place in your marketing mix. Okay, perfect. So that's what not to do. What is it that works really well? It's funny because most people will not be able to get there with me when I say this, because it's very counterintuitive. It's very buyer driven, not seller driven. Some might resonate with some people, but giving people information, which then creates awareness about what you do and then letting them figure out when they have a need that they come to you and you're top of mind is the best way to generate revenue and do marketing. The problem is that most people are so short term focused that they don't have the patience to do it. So they'll take all these shortcuts, which then lead them to very low efficiency outcomes. So Chris, one of your central theories around content strategy is that marketers need to stop creating bullshit content and start writing content that actually gets consumed. Can you tell me more about that? Most people create content for themselves, not for their buyer. If you just look at it black and white, most people design their content around how is this going to benefit me 
not how is it going to help the person that I'm trying to have read this, which is therefore why it doesn't work. And so people can feel it. It's very obvious. Like most companies do not invest in the talent, in the subject matter expertise, in the production, or in the distribution for a content strategy to actually work. They don't measure it the right way. They don't give it enough time to develop. And for all those reasons, most companies don't have a good content strategy. You look at billion dollar entities that don't put out content in the same volume that I do as a five person company. It just makes no sense. And it's because of all the reasons that I just stated. They don't believe it's important. They don't measure it the right way. Um, they don't have the right talent or resources or investment, and they do not know how to do it. Smart companies, especially like growth stage or companies that are going up against a major entrenched legacy competitor. The way you're going to win is by being smarter, not by doing all the same mm -hmm. shit that your big competitor does. Like if you're going and competing with the billion dollar company and you're 20 million and you are going to run the exact same marketing mix, go to tr spend hundred thousand dollars on trade shows and sponsorships, go heavy sales outbound, do all the same things that your competitors do. You're going to lose. You're going to limit your upside significantly. So I've been talking about this for a long time. I've been seeing it come into play, both for the companies that I've worked at as an employee, leading demand gen or brand or whatever, as well as all the companies that we now consult for, is that when you execute better and you do things that are smarter, you grow faster and you start stealing slowly taking market share for the companies that are wasting a bunch of money and not doing smart things that are trading off brand that's declining in value because they're not executing in today's, today's world. So the theory is that we should be creating content that is actually consumed by our audience, regardless of what it is, because that brings us to the top of mind when they are considering a purchase of a similar technology. How far does this theory go on the content side? How far away from what your company does can you create content for? Say if you're in healthcare and your buyers don't consume much work-related content, but it's a really strong community. They love to consume all sorts of stories about each other. So just the root of the question kind of illustrates the point that I just made, which is that most companies create content for them instead of reverse engineering what their buyer needs and then giving it to them, regardless of whether or not it has to do with a funnel leading them to buy their product. And so the strategies that are going to work the best are when you understand if you are selling to nurses, that nurses probably care about a lot of other things than what you're doing. And so then you have to pick a lane. Both lanes can work for that matter. The one is, is getting very deep into everything that they care about for their job. So normally the, this is not a scientific percentage, but it's just a, to illustrate a concept. Most people, the way that your product fits in is 2% of their job. There's a lot of other stuff in their job that has nothing to do with you. And that's where all the upside is for companies, but they continue to stay in this 2% and also super focused on moving people into buying their product as opposed to focusing on the 98%, which the people actually care about, and then the content actually gets consumed, which then leads people to figure out what you do and then creates a sales action that way. The other route that you could take, which I think is very interesting, is to look at the people for other things that they care about. I'll give you an example. I was helping out someone that, that practices law in Florida, and she continued to struggle with making content about law and getting it consumed and no shit like lawyers content is not that helpful until you actually need it. And then 
she started producing content about the things that she liked to do, which was, in this case, it was play video games. And so she would create content about her playing video games or different things like that. And what do you know? Other people that also played video games found out that she was a lawyer and then needed her help with law. So if both ways can work, I think one way is obviously going to be more preferred for a corporate entity for a lot of different reasons, which is like, you need to figure out everything that that person cares about and then build the community around that. And what do you think would be the best way to measure the outcomes of this content to make sure you have that feedback loop that we need to see if our content is working? The way that I measure the outcome of content is basically in three things. The first piece is consumption. And so inside of the piece of content, if I have a five minute video or I wrote a blog that takes five minutes to read, are people reading it for five minutes or are they reading it for five seconds? It's a very easy like first cut at whether or not the content's working. Most people will never measure that. And so therefore they're using ads to drive clicks to their blog. But what they don't realize is that if they looked in Google analytics, they would see that 99% of the traffic is bouncing straight away because the content sucks or you're driving the wrong people there. But nobody looks at that and they say, Oh, we got 20 cents CPCs. Everything is great. And then the second two pieces are who are the people that are liking the content and engaging with your brand, whether it's followers or other things, but not just the number it's who, who is it? If you're going after CFOs, are a bunch of CFOs and VPs of finance and financial analysts following your brand? Or is it the people that drive trucks because all you're doing is posting content that's irrelevant? So the second indicator is the people that you want to be engaged, actually engaged. And then the third indicator that I think is actually the most interesting, especially once you hit scale, is what is going on in the comments of the post that you're making? Who's commenting? What are they saying? who's engaging, a very interesting metric for me right now is what people are tagging other people in the comments of my posts and who are they tagging? And that's very interesting to me. So like it would show up in the metrics that I got 150 likes on my audio post, but what wouldn't show up is that the CRO of a $500 million company tagged the four people underneath him that run marketing demand gen and business development in my post. Most people ignore it because they just are not smart about how they measure this stuff. But those are the three pillars of how I would go about measuring a content strategy. This is actually some fantastic stuff. Thank you so much. What else should I be asking you to get the most out of your experience to help other marketers? Marketers everywhere overcomplicate everything. And they spend so much time trying to figure out their list segmentation and their automation and their technology and their attribution and their bots and all this other shit that they completely lose sight of the only thing that matters in marketing, which is, are you effectively communicating with the people that you want to? They get so caught up in all these other things that they completely lose sight of the only thing that matters. Am I able to earn the attention of the people that I am going after so that I have the opportunity for them to learn about what we do? I think that is a huge miss. I'm a tech marketer for sure. I appreciate the technology, but technology augments a successful strategy. It does not fix a broken strategy. And I think that's one thing that marketers are looking for right now is they're looking for some magic formula of automation. How do I send a million automated DMs 
and get a bunch of leads for my sales team? How do I install this new ABM tool and magically my top 50 accounts are going to buy from me instead of actually trying to figure out and have empathy for their buyers and what they need to do in order to capture the attention of those buyers so that those people then have the opportunity to understand what you do. If you're running a bunch of tech and like you're spending you know, five, five hours a week trying to figure out your attribution, like wouldn't that five hours be better spent trying to figure out things that your customers care about? The questions that your prospects are answering before they ever come and talk to you? The key ways that people are discovering you? Like those are the things that are important to me. Um, most companies spend so much time internally, whether it's like in an ivory tower trying to figure out how to make this, you know, the best marketing campaign with these creative words in this video um, without ever really auditing whether or not it resonates with their buyers. They spend so much time with themselves or with their technology or, you know, instead of actually going out and talking to people, especially as a marketer here, instead of actually going out and talking to your prospects, you take shortcuts and listen to sales calls, which actually doesn't give you any of the right answers. It gives you a piece of the puzzle, but it definitely doesn't give you all of it because people actually do not tell you the truth when they're in a sales conversation. They tell you the things that they need to tell you in order to navigate that sales conversation. And so the best way that I figured out to actually understand buyers is to talk to them in non-sales situations. Almost no marketers do that. There absolutely seems to be some kind of empathy gap in marketing right now. It's like, I don't want to have an ebook forced, forcing me to give my email to you to download this ebook. And I don't want the ebook that much anyway. Uh, why are marketers doing things like this? Um, and it's got to come down to some kind of fundamental misunderstanding of what the customers want, how they buy, what they like, and that kind of thing. For my final question, I, I get the impression that you're very data-driven. And I would love to get your impression on the more creative side of marketing. Is there space for both? You need both an understanding of the data and being able to analyze it and not only being able to analyze it, but being able to make decisions based on what the data is telling you. So a lot of people look at data directly or not able to understand from their customer perspective why the data is like that. Figuring out why it's like that is the most important part. And the creative is deeply important. We run ads and the difference between the campaign working or not is the picture you put in front of someone or the video or the words that you use. So uh, I have a very deep respect for how important the creative is, but I believe that and if we look at creative, you have to figure out whether we're talking about just the art or the art and the content, the substance of it because I feel like the substance is, is right now more important than the actual production value. How I was able to grow a very large following on LinkedIn and at the beginning, mainly using Zoom calls or very low production quality lighting, none of that stuff, because the information that I had was very helpful. I post Zoom recordings on YouTube that get a good amount of views because it's 90 minutes of good information. I think that some people overthink or overvalue the production quality of the videos, which then prevent them from creating a lot of content. And there's this like weird spiral that happens that's a, a hidden effect, which is that if you don't produce content at a high volume, you lose the speed of getting better at it. 
I think one of the reasons why my content continues to progress and why the audience continues to grow is because I do it so much that I'm constantly getting feedback from what people are saying and what questions they're asking and what things are working and which ones aren't. Like you've seen recently, I've been dropping um, audio posts on LinkedIn, which don't have me in the video. Obviously the circumstances in a lot of cases prevent us from doing like a decent production quality video. And so we've pivoted to audio posts with a sound wave and a picture of me in captions. And those are getting better engagement than the videos. And the videos cost a lot more to produce. I continue to try and figure out how to say this so that people will understand it is that if you spend three months making one ebook, it usually prevents you from making a video every day. If you make a video every day in one quarter, you're a much better marketer than if you made one ebook in a quarter. You're a much better marketer. You understand your customers more like the process of actually creating the content has a huge intangible value, both in the quality of the content, the understanding of the audience, the understanding of the distribution, a better understanding of the metrics that matter, but nobody actually gets into the work enough to understand these things. And so mm -hmm. I would, I would highly encourage people to create content in volume, knowing that as you do it, the quality will get better. Mm -hmm. What, what about if, um, like say in your company that like, I think you and your team are a lot of the, the value behind the company because it's, it's more services, right? What about if it is the software, how important is say the founder's role in creating this content or yeah, should, can you create tons of content more about the topic and general topics about your customer and that kind of thing? I think this is interesting, but you know, in your company, I think you and your team are a lot of the value because it's a service-led company. What if it is a software company? How important would you say is the founder's role in creating this kind of content? Can you be creating tons of content about the topic in general? You know, topics about your ideal customer and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I have to believe that if my company was selling a SaaS tool instead of a service, we'd be a much bigger company right now. Honestly, the idea that it's whether this works for a product or a service, the, the KPI is whether or not the people that you want to, to pay attention to you are paying attention to you or not. And so I don't believe that it has to be the founder in, to do this. I think that I've done this as a brand manager um, for companies before and created the same exact content and seen the same exact effect. It was not me. Like I was in the videos interviewing people, but it was under the corporate logo and I was just the person that was producing it. Yes, I believe this is deeply important to all companies to try and figure out I think that uh, whether you do it under a personal brand or a corporate brand doesn't matter. I think that both can work. I think that most corporate companies, especially when they get to a larger size, have too many opinions and too many thoughts about what words to use and which color works better and all these different bullshit opinions that prevent them from actually trying something that might work. That's why you don't see very many big companies have a podcast, produce videos every day, produce anything but either high production testimonials or employee testimonials or animated videos that speak specifically to the value prop with that stupid little like voiceover that sounds the same every time. Like that's why companies <laughs> don't do it because there's, and, and so um, every company would benefit from attempting a strategy like this but I have empathy for why most don't do it. Yeah, totally. Um, 
Perfect. Thank you, man. This has been super interesting talking to you and having you on this podcast. You've given us so much information today. I know the people listening are going to be really appreciative of that. If anyone is listening, doesn't follow Chris on LinkedIn, he drops information like this every day and it's great. So make sure you go over and follow it and also come over and follow me on Instagram and us on LinkedIn because we are posting clips of uh, of these interviews every day. We can get insight like this. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate that. It was good to talk with you and uh, we'll talk soon.